Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves and today we are back to bring you discussion on four episodes of Transformers. I say we because as per usual I am not here alone. I am joined by my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how's it going today? Yep, yep, pretty good. Season two, huh? (laughs) I know, right? Do you know what? I've been thinking about this and so I'm going to derail things from the get-go, Andy, because we might as well just say this up front. We are at season two now, as we talked about in the previous episode, folks. But the key detail is we're talking about the first four episodes. But Andy, to say this off from the bat, when I played the first episode, hit play on, on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, which, as a reminder, is where we are watching all of the episodes of The Transformers. And if you want to join in the conversation with us, you can find us at Starscreams Pod on Instagram and Twitter. But when I hit play on episode one... The intro started, and I kind of lost my mind, because that's the Transformers intro I remember vividly. I don't know if I, I can't remember if we actually talked about this in, like, the season one episodes, but that intro, it's an iconic song, but there was a part of me that's thinking, that's not the intro I remember. It just isn't, but I couldn't put my finger on what it was, and I thought, I'm not going to look it up, because I don't want to, like, just disappoint myself if I'm never going to see it again. And when this, like, 30-second song started on episode one of season two, I, I lost my mind because I remembered everything about it. All the stuff that you see, all the season two characters, they just throw at you in like 25 seconds. It was mental. And I loved that intro. Yeah, I, I often, I don't know why I even tried to do this, but I often had this argument in my head of which Transformers opening theme is the best one. And I've come to the conclusion that it's whichever one you're listening to at that moment. Because they're all really <laughs> good. Like all three seasons all have really good like variations of the same tune. And I feel like animation wise, like season two is probably the most interesting one. Although I still just get really bugged un- needlessly really by the fact that there's like a shot in there where it's just like the the scoop bit of one of the Constructicons just like flies yeah. in and picks up some debris. It's like, how does that work? I don't, <laughs> like, that's not a thing. It's d- doubly weird because like there's there's a, a, a cat factory like near my house, not like cats as in the feline, but as in like the company that makes, you know, like uh, uh, industrial machines. And, oh, right, okay. Like, and and in their um in in their kind of like driveway their entrance they have just one of those like shovel bits of a digger just on its own it's like maybe that is a thing maybe they just like work independently of the rest of it but anyway that's my derail of just like the bit that really always really bugs me about that opening it's like i'm not sure that makes sense canonically but sure i guess it's cool so remember how in the very first episode we were talking about like our respective histories of transformers and what our first toys were and stuff when I watched this intro, I remembered vividly now, which I think my favourite Transformer ever was because it's so prominent in the opening. And it's Astro Train. Yeah, Astro Train is 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 very good. I, I mean that that was it, it was it was a kind of like swings and roundabouts for me because yeah, I never owned an Astro Train because I never managed to find one, but I did get a Blitzwing, who's like the other triple changer, who's also pretty cool because he's a plane and a tank and a robot. But I did always kind of, I I had I had the choice of the two in a shop side by side, I would always have gone with Astro Train, but I mm. never never got me an Astro Train. Yeah, but I I've now vi- again this season two intro just brought back so many memories for me, and in many ways actually just. Starting to get on to discussion of the season two episodes, these first four episodes are a proper, like, 
kick-ass way to try and phrase it any better if I could. Just a brilliant way to start the season. And I know this is the very much the broadcast order we're going with, but you couldn't really have got more diverse stories if you tried and introduced so many characters and just so much happening. It was kind of an adrenaline rush of watching these four episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're certainly... They're better than I kind of perhaps expected them to be. Like, I sort of braced myself for, like, you know, the worst excesses of season two. And, uh, like, yeah, these are all pretty pretty decent episodes in their own ways. It did also make me realise, kind of thinking about it in retrospect, like, how seriously season one takes itself. Like, mm. especially, I guess, compared to, like, you know, modern cartoons now are all incredibly self-aware and they know they're going to end up, like, being... A meme they know the grown-ups are watching as well and they try to you know kind of have their cake and eat it almost in that sense and, and everything is incredibly self-aware which I, I guess is true of like media as a whole now and I kind of watching season two and some of the sort of goofier stuff that happens even in these episodes and certainly some of the episodes kind of going forward have even more of that made me realize like oh like season one actually took itself pretty super seriously for the most part like it's kind of a weird outlier where you have a goofy bumblebee moment but like for the most part all of those stories are pretty laser focused or laser beak focused uh. on uh, you know like here's our story here's our like the world is in peril stuff like this is serious business whereas you know these episodes they have that but then they also have like you know his Jurassic Park, but not, and they're like his some barbarian on a woolly mammoth, etc., etc. But we'll we'll get to all of that. But that was that was the thing that struck me was almost it was almost the reverse of what I was expecting because I was kind of came in expecting to be like, oh, season two is really dumb and goofy. But instead, it's like, oh, season one actually took itself maybe too seriously in places, and this kind of feels like a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more kind of like feet on the couch. I 100% agree. And another thing you mentioned, which I meant to actually react to properly, was like the actual animation of the intro sequence. But the animation quality in general on these four episodes is pretty damn good, to say the least. By Transformers standards, which I appreciate we're going by season one here, which arguably an unfair comparison, but it just felt like everything was on really top game overall. And also the intro just looks incredible from a spectacle point of view. Yeah. Yeah, the the the, in, the 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 intro stuff is is really good. It, it feels far less like the the Transformers season one intro feels kind of a bit like it's stock footage basically, and I think they did use like a, a lot of that footage in like toy commercials and stuff. So it might well have been repurposed from that and like ah slap it on the cartoon. Uh, season two, yeah, feels like you know just even the the zooming Autobot and Decepticon logos that kind of do their thing is like oh that's really cool. Like you don't you know. It, it, it's kind of a cut above and yeah like I, I, I'm not sure how much of it is like oh this actually looks better and how much of it is like maybe these episodes were better kept and maintained so they've kind of remastered into HD better um, but certainly like I feel like if nothing else the first episode of this like Autobot Spike was very much having come straight off of season one was like oh this is this feels like it has more animation, to be honest. Like, you know, never mind anything else. It just felt like it had more going for it. And yeah, it, it felt like it had a bit more time and care and attention put into it. And also, final thing on the intro, because otherwise I could be on this all day, but the actual opening visual of when you see Cybertron, it kind of zoom pans through it and you go through the cityscape and then it goes to Earth and you get the, the logo coming out of the volcano. It's just... It's such a great visual. I forgot how much I loved it. 
Yeah, yeah, like it's it's really dynamic compared to to season one, and like again, you know, this is not this is your pre CG era, like you know, pretty much this this will all have been hand animated, so it's kind of like makes it particularly impressive. Um, yeah, there are some really good flourishes through these episodes as well, uh, which is is yeah, all really good stuff. So from there, let's get to the first episode. We are at season two, episode one. Autobot Spike. We begin with our favourite narrator voice saying the following. Deep within the extinct volcano that is Autobot headquarters, a strange experiment is taking place. But this experiment is not the brainchild of Autobot scientist Wheeljack, but of their human friend, Sparkplug. Now, Sparkplug's experiment was to effectively challenge himself to create a new Autobot named Autobot X. And this was out of spare parts and various random bits and bobs they had lying around from all different, well, just all different Autobots, quite frankly. There were bits and bobs of literally everything. Spike describes it as being like a Frankenstein's monster in many ways, though that reference is totally lost on Bumblebee, which I did find quite amusing. First random tangent of the day for you, Andy. Are you aware of the uh, distinct link of Frankenstein in this episode in, as it pertains to the writer of the episode? No, no, I'm not. Okay, I will come back to that because there may be a more prominent moment to, uh, to make mention of that, but uh, there's a little tease for everybody. The experiment is activated and somehow the, the writers resist the urge to do a very Frankenstein's monster thing of IT'S ALIVE! But they manage to resist that, unlike me. When the robot becomes active... Wheeljack muses over the over the fact that perhaps he might be able to improve on what Sparkplug has done after things have started, because Autobot X suddenly just stands up and begins wrecking the joint, quite frankly. Now, I need to ask Andy, this is another tangent from me, but this is still on point. What is it with the Autobots creating things that they just can't control? This is a recurring yeah. theme. Like, there's the Dinobots that go mental. Just things that they make do not work. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, I mean, it's also, like, you know, this this very clearly says, like, oh, this isn't Wheeljack's fault, basically, at the start of this episode, <laughs> which, like, is unique in itself. But, yeah, you'd have thought after the whole Dinobot thing that you'd either be like, let's not try making another Autobot, especially not one of just that random bits that you found down the back of Optimus Prime sofa of just like, ah, this'll do. <laughs> you know, that's maybe not your, your best ploy. But if you are going to do it, maybe do it outside somewhere or, you know, in some kind of safe location, not where all your expensive kit and, you know, your Teletran one that you rely on for everything and all your IT you know, ability is is located, but no, here we are again. Clean, clean. Yeah, who who is the Autobot that always has to clean up the mess after this and just be like, <laughs> oh, here we go again. I guess I'm on cleanup duty. <laughs> Remember, like in an earlier episode, we were talking about like zero accidents or zero days since accident yeah. happened. Like this is the prime, no pun intended, like thing about it. Also, this exact conversation we're having, I reckon we're going to be having this again later in reference to another episode soon. Just saying. Yeah, I suspect this will be a recurring theme. <laughs> is, is this what the recurring theme is going to be this season? Rather than Cliff Jumper being Gun Jumper, is it just going to be zero days since accident happened? Quite possibly. A combination of a force field from Trailbreaker, Prowl's acid pellet, and Ironhide's... I've put water gun, but I'm not entirely sure in this instance, are enough to down Autobot X. 
This leads to Wheeljack continuing his developmental thoughts by saying that he, he might be able to find a way to transfer mental impulses to Autobot X, so that, for example, if an Autobot were to get damaged, they could still function in X while their body is being repaired. Suddenly, Teletran's alarm sounds and has detected a Decepticon presence at a new Air Force rocket base. Prime, Ironhide, Ratchet, Prowl, Wind Charger, and Brawn all roll out. At the Air Force Base, a military press conference of, of sorts is taking place when a crew of Decepticons led by Megatron arrive to all but literally crash the party. But not long after, the Autobots arrive and are quickly on the back foot by Decepticon attacks. The firefight has begun. Quick note, Andy. Braun, during this sequence, has the great line of, So, you Decepticons like to fly? Well, take off! And then he just kicks Soundwave into a bunch of rockets. Once again, Braun proving he is given the best dialogue. Yep. Before long, multiple rockets are collateral damage during this firefight. The Decepticons' energy supply, in this instance, the rockets that they were aiming for at this military base, has, as Soundwave very eloquently put it, quote-unquote, inadvertently been destroyed. And they promptly leave, but not before Megatron's handgun form causes a bit of a diversion, because Bumblebee and Spike were not with the initial Autobot party that arrived. They decided to arrive a bit later, and Bumblebee is basically shot, he flips over, and Spike is in a bad way, to say the least, that requires immediate medical attention and is promptly rushed off to a hospital by Ratchet, with Prowl being a police car escort. In the hospital, Spike is in a bad way, with a doctor saying to Sparkplug that he wishes there was a way to separate Spike's mind while they work on him. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Sparkplug, as he put it, knows a one in a million chance. Back at Autobot HQ, Bumblebee is being worked on by Ratchet, and Spike is being prepped for a mind transfer, so that his body can be operated on independently of his mind. Long story short, the transfer worked! But not perfectly, because Autobot X slash Spike can't come to terms with the fact he is indeed now an Autobot, but he is Spike, and begins wrecking everything again. And that is where we get a commercial break. Andy, we didn't even get to one day since the last accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, this, this was like it's like two hours later or something. <laughs> So, so I'm going to let you talk for a bit now, seeing as I've waxed lyrical about what's gone on. Thoughts on this general idea and setup for the episode as a whole? I mean, I found it kind of hilarious. And, and, and it, this, this episode takes a dark turn, but I was having a good laugh at the fact that this particular Autobot Decepticon battle just basically totals everything. <laughs> it's like, oh no, like this, this brand new experimental state-of-the-art like rocket launch pad... And it feels like, because like, normally the Autobots are quite kind of diligent about, oh, we need to make sure, you know, we avoid any damage or too much harm. Not really bothered about this one. They're just like, ah, just just go go for it, lads. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, just literal, like, dominoes of rockets just, like, crashing down into each other. And then Optimus Prime's basically like, oops. <laughs> it's like, you know, who's, who's footing the repair bill for this one? Because... You know, I, I hope Optimus Prime brought his credit card because um, I think he's going to have to swap insurance details with somebody. Um, and so, yeah, so I was just like having a good chuckle over that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, Spike's grievously hurt. hurt. And it's like, oh, well, that's maybe less less amusing and entertaining. Um, there are a lot of like just 
I'll describe it as big tonal shifts in this episode. Like, very big, just complete 180s. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that this is probably part of kind of the issue with season two, I guess, is that it doesn't... Because it, it, it has that, like, you know, sort of goofier side and the more serious stuff, like, it has to juggle the two. And in a 20-minute episode of a show, that's pretty hard to do kind of in a seamless way. Um, and so, yeah, like, it, it kind of... It is kind of weird in that sense, and I did also, you know, again, the kind of thing you don't care about as a kid, but I did sort of giggle at as a grown-up is, like, the, the whole, like, foreshadowing of, like, oh, if only we could separate his body from his mind, Spark Plug. <laughs> if only you'd literally figured out a way to do this about two minutes before this happened, huh? Um, and so that, that kind of entertained me. But then, yeah, it all kind of gets quite dark, because... And, and, and just... And then continues to barrel down in, in in this kind of direction for the rest of the episode of just Spike being completely kind of discombobulated as this sort of man-machine cyborg. And there's some real, like, proper kind of existential body horror going on here as he kind of, like, comes to terms with the fact that he's in this weird Frankenstein body. Yeah, it, we're certainly going to get onto that in a few minutes because j- just from that point of view, it's very, very dark, as you say. I, I, the other note I will make is the actual mind transfer process. I did love it was just a stereotypical put a helmet on his head <laughs> on yeah. both ends. It was just really, really simple and very cliche. Yeah, how, how, how else would you do a mind transfer, I guess? It's like, I mean, if, if, if that ever becomes a thing that happens in real life, like people will create that just because that's how it works in all the movies. So, back to the story at hand. It's clearly Spike inside Autobot X, as I'll say it, for the purposes of this conversation for now, recognises the other Autobots, but wants to know why this has been done to him. He's ultimately... Sorry. He's ultimately controlled, calmed down, because he's wrecking stuff, and comes to understand that it's because... What's the way to phrase this? Basically... It's a situation that's going to ultimately better him because he's in a really bad way in his body. But he's having a hard time thinking straight and can't think clearly. And Wheeljack theorizes that this could well be a side effect of the mind transfer. With order restored, Prime and some of the other Autobots need to get back to the rocket base to assist with repairs, Andy. You know, because of all that collateral damage that they caused a few minutes earlier. But then we see Laserbeak. Continuing Laserbeak's 100% secret infiltration success success rate in every single episode. It was spying on what just took place. We then go to Decepticon HQ. Megatron is now aware of the situation regarding Spike and his current mental state. And believes that he can use that to his advantage. Back at Autobot HQ, Spike is watching a movie via Teletran. And of course, keeping with the whole Frankenstein theme of the episode... It's some glorious 80s-style, melodramatic, hammed-up acting, recreating a sort of parody scene, if you will, of the Frankenstein movie. Now, Spike has got some serious PTSD at this point, realising he's a monster too, and begins trashing the place again. Andy, we didn't even get one hour without another accident happening at this point. Yeah, and and I'm I'm just... So amazed at the fact that, you know, like, they, they transfer Spike into this Autobot body. He freaks out of, like, like ah, I'm some kind of Frankenstein's monster. Like, all right, right, calm down. 
let's just sit and watch Frankenstein. <laughs> it's like, you know, of all the things, like, surely, you know, you could find something else. Like, let him watch Mork and Mindy or something. I don't know. Literally anything other than that. Because, of course, that's just going to make him feel worse. Also, there, there was a, a scene here. I think it was maybe when, like, Spike was having his first kind of meltdown. It, it seemed like there were some kind of disco lights installed in the arc because there's a lot of kind of like flashing colored lights. I did, I, I wrote the, the, the note that I wrote as Spike was kind of like having his, his breakdown with these like fluorescent lights flashing. I just wrote panic at the disco. Um, and that was, uh, that, that was, that was weird. I, I, I'm sure there was some rhyme or reason to that, but it did, it did amuse me somewhat. It was just like, you know, j- jazz is just there in the background, just like, look, just listen to my music. Can you can you tone it down? <laughs> so, so you were mentioning about why was he watching Frankenstein? I'm going to defend the Autobots slightly here because there is the reference earlier in the episode when they make I think it was Spike actually that said, "Oh, it's like Frankenstein's monster," and none of them knew what that reference was. And I think the line I, mean, I didn't mention it in my recap, but I think they said that like a TV feed was patched through to, to Teletran. So it might have just been it was on a channel and it's like, all right, Earth human, watch your television. There you go. Yeah, and it's just whatever it was uh, on. Yeah, it, it seemed to suggest that he'd specifically requested that TV station as well. But I mean, that mm. that is a bit like your kid just like, you know, asking if they can watch, I, I don't know, like insert horror movie here just before bedtime. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> You're gonna watch something else. You can you can sit sit and listen to like Braun's fifty best Decepticon quips or something. Just literally anything else. So I mentioned earlier, Andy, about there being a very big Frankenstein thing going on. Let me elaborate on what I meant. So the person who penned the episode, I believe by the name of Don Glut, I hope I pronounced that right. It's no coincidence there is a Frankenstein reference because Don Glut has written a lot of articles, novels, short stories, and even non-fiction books about Frankenstein. Hmm. So that is why there is a little direct reference to, or references, plural, to, to Frankenstein in this episode, which I thought was a very interesting fact. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of fascinating because it's like the, the Frankenstein thing is sort of quite well worn in, sort of, you know, cartoons and media in general, but there was a real... It felt like it was being extra kind of specific about it here in a in a certain way. So that kind of adds up of like, okay, that 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 totally scans. So Spike's having his meltdown, realizes again he's a monster, then makes a dramatic a dramatic airborne exit through the side of the volcano. You know, causing more damage. Zero minutes since last meltdown. Now conveniently. Reflector, Decepticon Reflector that is, was on recon and manages to catch photos of Spike's exit. Bumblebee then also goes after Spike, but Ratchet still hasn't actually fixed him properly yet because his radio transmitter is out of action. Now Andy, I feel the need to point out something here. This is Jeremy looking far too much into this, but it needs to be said. What is it with Teletran not being able to detect Decepticons either in or by the freaking Autobot base? For all of the uh, alarm systems and as great as Teletran is, and I appreciate stuff was getting destroyed again, but surely Reflector was just outside the whole time. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just putting it down, yeah, to the fact that Telegram gets trashed like about once every 20 minutes. And it's probably, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's maybe the, the difficult part to repair or something. But yeah, I mean, it's like, especially with with the Laserbeak thing. I mean, like you said, yeah, he Laserbeak basically lives in the arc at this point. Like he's just <laughs> there every week and he's just like, oh, the Autobots are at it again. Guess I'll go tell Megatron. It's like, you know, so, so you'd have thought somebody would have twigged that like how do the Decepticons always know what we're what we're doing like it's really weird um <laughs> although I mean there is like the episodes about that in in the, the near future um but uh, yeah like it's it's kind of uh it it, it, it is kind of like incredible it, it's it's definitely another Autobot weak point of just like can you just like put up a decent alarm system <laughs> So, Reflector then was also following Spike, and they ultimately end up somewhere near a forest, I've written down, because that's the best description I could come up with, and is keeping a close watch on Spike ahead of Megatron's impending arrival. Now, at this point, Spike is having a conversation with himself, and determines that he wants to take over the world because he's a monster not like Prime. And he literally just uproots some trees and narrowly misses Bumblebee in the process, Bumblebee tries to reason with Spike because he's arrived at this point, but it's just launched into a ravine. Again, in a certain number of days since Bumblebee was launched into a ravine. And he manages to catch onto a rock, but then spots the, the other Decepticons arriving. And then Spike begins firefighting with the Seeker Jets on their arrival because he's like, they're the bad guys. And at this point, you can just imagine where Spike's brain is at. And... In the end, the Seeker Jets just down him. <laughs> Even though clearly the plan is to try and recruit Spike, they just down him. And we go to a commercial. There is a lot of stuff going on here, Andy. But I think one of the most interesting parts of this episode for me, which is obviously just the primary theme of it, is just the mental anguish that Spike is going through with this whole concept that he's had his mind transferred. And it's, it's probably something that we've all imagined when we've been a kid. What would it be like to be transferred into, like, an Autobot? How do I become one? And you look at this and it's like, no, you really shouldn't do this. This will screw you up something fierce. And the way that they're depicting the, the side effects of this, almost like the, the PTSD of it all, it's, it's actually incredibly dark, as we've mentioned, and also very deep for, like, a Transformers cartoon at this point. Yeah, yeah, like, it, it is very much just that sort of, like, existential, like, body horror of, like, you're in this weird sort of machine and you know especially i mean it's it's kind of a double whammy for spike as well because you know it's it's not like they've just done this as a, a test or you know for, for for the lols um it's you know they've done it because he's like his actual body is like gravely injured and it feels like nobody really talks to him about that or, or i mean there's not really any discussion of exactly what's happened to him at all really um to to be like yeah you know this is this is the situation you know just stick it out for a while and we'll get you back in your own body like it all feels very up in the air just like yeah we put you in an autobot have fun um and uh, so yeah like it's kind of understandable that he's in kind of a, a a bad a bad shape and yeah it it is kind of interesting as a sort of you know examination of you've been put into this you know weapon basically you have all of this power that you didn't have previously although spike as mentioned does have superhuman powers anyway um but like you know you have even more power and you know uh, firepower at your disposal like what what do you do with it and you know there is the temptation there of like well you know i could just go and 
take over the world because you know why not i can basically do what i want so back from commercial megatron begins talking with spike reasons with him and also gives him a perspective on the situation which culminates with him with spike this is being offered the second in command spot in the decepticons which i'm sure i'm sure starscream was delighted about now spike is still having difficulty trying to think but ultimately agrees to join the Decepticons. Now, I, I will note this, Andy, as a little sidebar. There is a great line from Spike, of, which follows on from a previous episode, which I want to say was a spark plug line, but Spike says, like, easy for you to say Decepticrum, when he was responding to Megatron's comment about him having looked like he, having an improved appearance since they last met. It's like The, the Decepticrum line, that's clearly a Witwicky family thing there. Yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly workshopped that one between them. Um, and yeah, like it's it's one it's it's one of the kind of like weirder insults I feel like that this series throws out. But I do I like it just because it is so weird. It's just you know it's like what what are words that sound like con ah crumb that'll do. <laughs> Back at the rocket base, the military has successfully launched a bunch of rockets with Prime, Ironhide, and some others as well watching on. Now, Andy, I actually wanted to bring this up again because you mentioned it earlier about, like, Prime's... I'll say conduct when it comes to this military base and, like, you know, maybe not caring so much or as much as he might normally do about the amount of damage there. Because did you notice how he had a little bit of a jibing joke with Ironhide about the rocket launch when the humans were celebrating? And he kind of just goes, oh, that's impressive for primitive rocket technology. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's... I I mean, given that they're stranded on Earth because they crashed their spaceship into a a volcano, like, I feel like you're throwing stones at glass houses a bit there, Prime. Like, at least least they can take off and get into space again. Like, you know, unlike some people we could speak of. See, I'm always wondering, is Optimus Prime also having a bit of PTSD at this point? Because his base just keeps getting trashed. And is is he just kind of like... Yes, good job, primitive humans. Like it's, it's like it's the one time Optimus Prime is just kind of losing his cool a little bit. Yeah, it's just like I'm very tired. I've had a long day. Great, your your little your little firework has gone off. Well done. Can I go now? I've got some cleaning up to do. I didn't have my Energon coffee this morning. <laughs> so at this point, Bumblebee arrives at the rocket base and informs the other Autobots of what happened. They roll out back at the canyon. They find Spike, Prime tries to reason with him, but Spike makes it known that he's beginning to like his new body and promptly just shoots Optimus Prime. Now, despite trying to reason with him, Spike ends up using Megatron in his gun form to attack Prime 2, because it's not bad enough if, like, your friend shoots you, but your friend using your mortal enemy as a gun, you know, even worse there. The other Decepticons arrive, meaning that the remaining Autobots on the scene are busy firefighting with them now. Spike's mind... Spike's mind, excuse me, is still very clouded, and he's really, really easily confused. But Megatron being so close to him in his handgun form, because Spike is holding the gun, is making it very easy for Megatron just to kind of be that deciding line of, what are you doing, Spike? Shoot them! And just influencing him in that way. Then, Wheeljack and father of Spike, Sparkplug, arrive. Sparkplug tries to talk some sense into, into Spike, but in the heat of the moment, Spike shoots first and asks questions later when he just shoots in the vicinity of Sparkplug, realises his dad has gone flying into a ravine. Insert ravine joke here. And then at this point, Spike manages to save him, 
using what I would best describe, Andy, as... You know you, you know if you're playing like a UFO catcher or like a claw machine that you get at a really cheap fun fair, And you want to get like the cuddly toy that you know you'll never get because the arms are so loose that it's all rigged. It was one of those arms, just far more reliable. That's how I've yeah. described it. Yeah, I mean, when they said that the, the Autobot X was made out of spare parts, they didn't. It wasn't just spare parts of Autobots. They just got some <laughs> stuff from the local fun fair as well, as it turns out. Like he, 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 he could, he could, he could. His, his transform mode is actually a Ferris wheel, but they never show that on the screen. <laughs> actually, that's the point. There isn't actually a specific transform mode, is there? Just a couple of like other abilities that we see. Yeah, I, I would assume because I mean he is just a mishmash of like Autobot spare parts. I mean, I, I guess you know a, a, he could probably transform into like. A pile of metal, and that's about it. So that's fair. Then Megatron starts speaking again, and it looked like for a moment that he turned Spike evil again, except this time he used Megatron's gun form to attack Megatron's fellow Decepticons. After that, uh, after, as Megatron puts it, this betrayal, uh, the, the Decepticons retreat. Back at the hospital, Spike's body is ready, and the mind transfer takes place to restore things back to normality. Hopefully. Despite Wheeljack's worries about it perhaps overloading, that being the machine that's doing the mind transfer, the transfer is a success, and it works! Hooray! And the opposite, the opposite? That's not a word. The episode ends with Bumblebee musing, what would it be like for an Autobot brain to be transferred into a human? And then the episode ends. This was quite the episode, Andy, in terms of, I've... I've kind of glossed over, like, the more dramatic nature of what Spike is going through in my recap, but we've really got to emphasise the amount of darkness when it comes to Spike's mind and how he's feeling and where he's at and how easily influenced he is in this form. It is really something to see from from the perspective of this Transformers cartoon. Yeah, it's, it's another pretty strong episode, like, voice acting-wise from, like, Spike's voice actor, because I assume it's just him again as, as like... In, in his Autobot form, because he sounded, like, sufficiently different as, like, maybe they got someone else to do this, but I think it was, like, the same person. But, like, it's another good kind of, you know, all, all of the kind of doubt and insecurity and anger and all of that was kind of, like, put across pretty well there in terms of actual voice performance. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... I mean, especially when you consider, like, the throwaway, like, maybe we should make you an Autobot, Spike, at the end of Season 1. Like, it's like, okay... We're doing that, and the, but not in the way that you would expect at all. Like, it's not the fun, frivolous, like, we, look at me, I'm a robot now. It's like, you know, goes goes some, some real dark places and kind of sticks around there for a while. And it's sort of, it's a very, it's a very different take on your usual, you know, like, goody turns evil in these kind of cartoons which is you know usually they're like oh he got hit on the head and turned evil or whatever like it has it has far more meat to it than that which i think makes it interesting um although i do have to say like megatron really good at recruitment not very good at employee retention like you know he recruited the dinobots and lost them within like 20 minutes he recruited skyfire and that lasted like about five minutes before he annoyed him and you know he had spike on board for a couple of minutes and then lost him as well like needs to needs to work on that side of his game if he if he actually wants to you know keep keep some more some more lackeys on hand based on what we see in upcoming episodes given how often he says as long as i survive everything's okay it doesn't surprise me yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fair, like, as soon as you see his, 
I mean, if you see him and and, and Starscream, you know, you see his management techniques. It's like, ah, yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm not 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 feeling this quite so much. And the Insecticons as well. I mean, he didn't really keep them for long before they, you know, went off and did their own thing. So uh, yeah, like definitely definitely not his strong suit, as it turns out. <laughs> P- performance report, Megatron. <laughs> So, from there, everyone, let's move on to our next episode for today. That being episode two of season two, The Immobilizer. We begin inside the Autobot base where Wheeljack has gathered many of his comrades to demonstrate his new invention. The Wheeljack Instant Immobilizer. Now, to test how it works, Hound produces a hologram of Laserbeak, because, you know, as we've established, Laserbeak has a 100% success rate of getting into Autobot HQ. Even the Autobots know it now. They just make, you know, a freaking hologram of it. But at that moment, Ironhide, walking in a little bit late to the conversation, sees Laserbeak and just starts shooting and asking questions later. Today, the role of Cliffjumper is played by Ironhide. So, in the process, he hits some rocks, a bunch of rocks fall from the ceiling, Wheeljack is buried under said rocks, and the device ultimately is just damaged. So, yay, Wheeljack's test does not happen. Now, Andy, I will note here, first of all, that uh, the Ironhide's line of, Oh, wingnuts, I can't believe I mistook a hologram for the real article. My scanners must be glitched. Then Wheeljack responding with, Hey, none of us are perfect, Ironhide. My immobilizer demonstration will just have to wait a bit. It's like, I mean this in the nicest way, how condescending was Wheeljack with that line? It's like, Ironhide just pouring his heart out, just like, ah, I'm getting too old for this. And Wheeljack's being like, trying all his power to say anything, but you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did, I did at least enjoy Ironhide getting his chance to play the cliff jumper role, and just like, even though everyone was being like, no, you. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, it's definitely Laserbeak. And then it's like, oh, well, you know. Somebody has to do it, I guess. Again, reset the clock. Zero minutes since the last incident within the arc. (laughs) So after this, Bumblebee is then tasked with heading into town to get a new polarizer for the device that Wheeljack wanted to test. Spike joins him. We then go to town, Andy. More specifically, we go to the Robots Video Arcade where Bumblebee is doing very well on a game called Robot Resource. Now, I feel, the, I feel the need to make an important detail here, Andy. Did you take note of all the names of the other arcade machines in this arcade? I, I, I have to confess, I did not. I was, I was still trying to figure out like where you run into town and pick up a new polarizer from, to be fair. <laughs> it's like, is that just like, is that at, at, at Woolworths, WH Smith? Like, where are we going for this? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever had to run into town and pick up a new polarizer. <laughs> so, the games were as follows. Pan! With two exclamation marks. Oh! With two exclamation marks. Ha ha ha! All caps and no exclamation marks. SFX! No exclamation marks. And finally, two! Two exclamation marks, which I'm calling it now, that was where Sega got their inspiration for Choo Choo Rocket. Yeah, who 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 knows? I mean, I I do literally want to play a video game just called Ha 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 at this point because like, <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a great time. If anybody can tell me where where which are which robot arcade I have to go to to play Ha Ha Ha, I'm 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 here for it. Please write it into the podcast. <laughs> so suddenly, as Bumblebee is like 
kicking ass in this game, quite frankly, that he's playing, a young lady pops up out of nowhere, who we come to find out is named Carly, and asks Spike if he can introduce him to the cute Autobot playing the game, Bumblebee. She formally introduces herself, but Spike reminds Bumblebee that they should have been back at Autobot HQ with the Polarizer ages ago, and then they make a quick exit. But Carly decides to follow them, hopping into her car that's just outside, and some spectacular driving from both cars here, Andy. Both Bumblebee and Carly. Uh, ensues. Carly follows them. Around the corner, and this is where I get onto about the driving, Bumblebee is pulled over, because quite frankly, Andy, he's weaving in and out of traffic. Like, there is some ridiculous driving going on here. And the police officer asks Spike if he's old enough to drive. After some confusion as to what the heck an Autobot is, and the fact that Bumblebee is even a Transformer, and such, Ravage appears out of nowhere and starts attacking Bumblebee. And during the attack, Ravage attaches something to Bumblebee as well. Spike uses some quick ingenuity to use jump leads connected to the police officer's car, which I'm pretty sure legally you can't do that, and then just basically gives Ravage a big electric shock with some jumper, with some jumper cables. And the Decepticon retreats. Bumblebee is also warned by the officer about him speeding. So Bumblebee was officially breaking the law, Andy. Because the law applies to Autobots as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a, a shocking, shocking dereliction of duty. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm more just surprised that given, given like prior episodes that we've watched, that Ravage didn't just like sneakily put like laser beak in tape mode on Bumblebee's shoulder as <laughs> as, as as a way of, of monitoring them and getting but getting into the arc. But uh, but no, like fair fair play that they've they've upgraded their their mechanics to do this now. I guess. But I did I did enjoy the jump lead moment. Like that was. A good bit of, of ingenuity from Spike of just like, how do I electrocute Ravage? I know, can I borrow your jump leads? Um, so, mm. like, fair, fair play for that. I, I did enjoy that. We'll, we'll get onto this as we get through more of the episode, but a big theme of this episode that I really liked was humans being really freaking great, just with ideas and stuff, and like, and just thoughts and and what they can do. Obviously, there's going to be a few moments which will be very questionable shortly, but in general, like, the actual, like, quick thinking of what can they do to help, it, it, it's, this really puts the humans over the majority of the time very well. Yeah, and it's one of the things I think that, that this series does pretty well for the most part. Like, you know, we saw it in season one where you've got Chip, etc., you know, having smart ideas, and it, it is kind of nice because it's not just... And I think I said this like, you know, an episode or two ago, it's not just that the humans are there as set dressing and they're not just there as kind of like audience ciphers for like, oh, imagine if you could hang out with the Transformers. Like they actually have agency over things and they do actually get involved, whether it is, again, Spike's superhuman strength from time to time or, yeah, like something more cerebral or just a kind of like local knowledge of like, well, we know how things work on Earth and we can give you some ideas. Like even like the the whole like insulation thing you know in the insecticons episode all those little things that are really nice little moments of you know spike and spark plug aren't just hangers on they do actually have a role within kind of the autobots and you know they actually have value to them which you know is is more than some companions in kind of other shows where you know they're just there because like oh we need to have a human element to it Bumblebee and Spike arrive back at HQ, with Wheeljack kind of going, took you long enough, which I completely agree with, given they were meant to be lit back very quickly. It turns out that the dem- sorry. 
The demonstration is now ready to go, and it turns out that Wheeljack's device can stop any object moving, and a larger model could, in theory, deactivate a Decepticon. Now, remember that device I was mentioning that Ravage attached to Bumblebee? It turns out it's a camera, or as it's referred to in the show, a microbug. Think of it like a GoPro, but in the 80s. Broadcasting back to Decepticon HQ. So Megatron and Starscream hear everything that's being said by Wheeljack. And of course, they intend to gain the, the immobilizer excuse me, for themselves and use it against the Autobots. Now, for once, Andy, Prime says we should do a safety test somewhere else. Finally. Finally. After, what, 18 episodes of wrecking the Ark on the regular, he's like, no, no more. They, 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 won't, they won't pay out on the home insurance anymore. If you're going to play with toys, you've got to do it elsewhere. After all the times that Teletran got utterly mangled, all the times that Laserbeak infiltrated and whatnot, finally, what it actually took was a device that Wheeljack made that has the word immobilizer in it. Which, yeah. I've got to say, actually, I do love the fact that the device is called an immobilizer and the Transformers are cars. There's kind of a weird little thing about that that, that harkens back to, like, the immobilizer technology in cars from that around that time period. Yeah, I mean, that seems... Because that's the, like, having not seen this episode before, like, I was expecting it to be something a little bit more kind of... A little bit less cool than what they end up with, <laughs> quite frankly. It was just like, oh, yeah, it'll just be some kind of device that can, like, you know shut down a transformer or kind of like lock them in their rope in their kind of like transformed mode and they can't get out it'll be something like that but it's like no it's it's a freeze ray basically like you know it would be a, a more a more apt thing um but yeah like it, as it turns out we'll, we'll get on to that but moving the location elsewhere didn't really help the health and safety track record here but uh, but hey ho what well, one step at a time andy one step at a time <laughs> So it turns out that they go to a forest area away from the Ark, and the test is on a small waterfall, which sees the molecules stopped in motion. And now, to clarify, it doesn't mean that the water was turned to ice, but as Wheeljack put it, it's a substance. It's harder than any substance we know, quote-unquote. And Braun unsuccessfully attempts to just punch a hole in this substance, and Spike is now running towards them, on the hardened surface, as it were. He's running towards them and somehow accidentally activates the device because there's a remote control and no one can see anything in the show, apparently. Wheeljack sees the danger is aimed at Spike, that being the, the immobilizer ray, and he jumps in to take the bullet for Spike and promptly gets frozen, hardened, however you want to phrase it, himself. Now, with nobody other than Wheeljack knowing how to reverse the effects... Prime makes it abundantly clear that this must not fall into Decepticon hands. Now, a detail I did not make mention of was that when the Autobots arrived in the forest, Ironhide was tasked with being the first person on guard duty, if you will, to be on lookout for the Decepticons. He sees something moving in the bushes, and he shoots at it, a tree falls down, and we hear an almighty scream. It turns out it was Carly who had come by to watch. Ironhide, of course, has to help her, but because of that, the Decepticons got through the lookout position, and they've now ambushed his fellow comrades, and Ironhide is blaming himself at this point, and is not at all happy with himself as we go to an ad break. 
So, the safety test, as you alluded to, Andy, did not go well. But in terms of an actual concept and the way this story is progressing, really, really liking this episode. It's something different. It's a cool idea. You've got the added extra sort of, I'll call it loophole, for lack of a better word, because my brain's just crashed on me. But you've got the extra added loophole of Carly being involved now. So it's another human who no one really knows and what's her role in all this. It's just, There's a lot of moving parts in this, but I think it's actually really working well in this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's pretty good. Again, it's it's breaking from that that routine of you know, and, and again, it's it's the nice thing about Autobot Spike as well as it breaks from the like oh, you know, we need to attack this new energy source, and you know the Decepticons are attacking, blah blah blah. Like you know, it's it's got far more far more meat to it than that. Like as I say, the, the whole immobilizer device thing is way cooler than I anticipated it being. Um, even if I, I felt like the whole thing with Spike was like, you know, living in the, the UK in the 80s, you were peppered constantly with like s- public safety videos that were often quite distressing and horrifying about like not playing on railway lines or, you know, don't go fishing or fly your kite near the pylons. And this felt like one of those where it's just going to like freeze frame to Spike shock face and then be like, yeah, Wheeljack was frozen because of Spike's actions. Don't be like Spike. Um, you know, don't don't run near the immobilizer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, all of that's pretty good. And yeah, like Carly, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I'm trying to remember whether she turns up more in this season. I feel like she maybe does because she, she kind of. I'm pretty sure she does because I remember her being in later episodes. Yeah, because like she's she's sort of pretty good. She she doesn't get a whole lot of sort of play in in this episode, but like she's a good kind of agent of chaos really in this early bit of the episode of just like yeah, just kind of getting in the way and being a bit of a foil for some of the other stuff that's going on. Um, so it kind of adds a little extra dynamic to it as well. Hmm. So, back from the ad break that I mentioned, the Decepticons are trying to take the Immobilizer by force, but Trailbreaker is using a force field to block their attacks, much to the annoyance of Starscream, who points out they could have wiped them out already, Megatron, if you hadn't wanted to get the flipping Immobilizer. Because again, Starscream points out the obvious points, and Megatron's a really bad leader. Now, I will make a note that Trailbreaker had uh, had a good line here, Andy, of uh, of try and take it, Mega Turkey, when he was talking to Megatron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. There, there's, there's a, there's a food theme here. We've gone from Mega, from Decepticrum to Mega Turkey, um, but uh, yeah, like um, all Transformers it, it, are clearly just hangry, you know. Yeah, yeah. That that must, uh, that must be it. I mean, it's, it's a shame because you know we're, we're recording this episode just after Thanksgiving, so like Turkey would have been topical. But by the time we actually put this out, it won't be. Well, I mean Christmas as well, I guess. So yeah, that's our seasonal <laughs> festive. <laughs> message mega turkey <laughs> the, the other thing I, this is actually completely separate of anything but i don't know if you all know this but another thing that i that, that young childhood jeremy started going mental over while i was watching all these episodes is the music being used now in the show it's a lot different like the soundtrack and what i like the fighting music and stuff there's a lot of music in this show which was also used in gi joe slash action force if you were here in the uk so a lot of this music, I'm just so familiar with, and just like hearing this music over Transformers, I forgot they kind of blended together at some point with that, and I'm losing my mind because it's all this great action music with the Transformers, and it's just so great to see from my point of view. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they, they, those two series shared a, a lot of DNA there, and I, I didn't realise they extended to music. Because obviously, like, you have a lot of the same kind of, like, season one soundtrack in here, but yeah, you have a bunch of other music kind of peppered in, which fits perfectly well. Like, it doesn't feel like it's from another show or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, that is kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's a massive... I love watching the old G.I. Joe Action Force stuff, and I just remember the mu- It's usually when it involves Cobra doing something. And there's like dramatic music, or if there's like, oh, what's the way to phrase it? If there's like a scene where there's like a sort of a slow building song of like mystery and intrigue, it, it kind of starts off with a bit of a drum beat at the beginning of it. That's literally from G.I. Joe. Like, I know that song like the back of my hand. When it starts, I know it instantly. And it's so great to hear the soundtrack. But I digress as usual. Now, the interesting part that happens here is Ironhide tries to dive in to get the device but is shot. However, he's got enough energy to prevent Starscream from leaving with the immobilizer that he was able to get his hands on, shooting some red, like, glue liquid from his arms, I guess it was, that in the process damages Starscream's telemeter, which, in perhaps one of the most amusing things we have seen in all of the episodes so far of Transformers, Andy, Starscream can't not walk into trees for a couple of seconds. It is freaking fantastic. Yeah, there, there, there are there are a couple of, of great kind of slapstick moments in this episode. That is one of them, and the, the, perhaps my favourite one is, is coming up shortly. Now, I should actually clarify, because I missed a detail. The, how Starscream got the immobiliser was because Skywarp fired a missile, which goes out of control, not exploding, but keeps bouncing off trees in the area. Actually, and that's ultimately- true. That's true. This episode has three really great slapstick moments, and that's the other one of just like, how is this happening? How is this missile just ricocheting off things and just bouncing around everywhere? This makes no sense, but it's kind of hilarious. And ultimately, it was Megatron shooting at it that made the rocket explode, and then that's how Starscream grabbed the immobilizer because Prime got crushed by a tree. So as I mentioned, Ironhide tried to get it, got shot himself, shoots the liquid, Starscream's walking into trees. With the device now in Megatron's hands, they are like standing on top of the hardened water, if you will, and they're kind of having a bit of a celebration, and Megatron says the line, warriors are expendable, the most important thing is I get what I deserve, and I always do, and the moment he says do, the water returns to its liquid state, and the Decepticons fall in and get swept away. Freaking great. It is just like absolutely impeccable comedy timing, (laughs) an impeccable bit of writing of that line of, yeah, like, you know, (laughs) Megatron gets what he deserves. I always do, splash. And it's just, (laughs) it is just beautiful. Like, of everything this series has done in terms of like comedy and goofy moments and stuff like that, it's just, that is oscar winning just absolute perfect <laughs> comedy and i love it and i could just i could watch that as like a looping video like if, if we still had vine that would be a perfect vine <laughs> that would just loop forever and i would watch it forever and i would laugh every single time so this actually brings up an interesting question because you mentioned a few minutes ago that this is the first time you've seen this episode so from your point of view how is it actually watching something from a transformers thing you've just never seen at the moment like it, i appreciate We've talked. We've kind of mentioned quality may vary, but so far, how was the experience of watching a brand new Transformers episode from your point of view? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's been pretty good. I mean, you know, I I don't recall Autobot Spike either. So like, you know, they, they they're both episodes that are just kind of completely new to me. And so yeah, definitely compared to you know, I was prepared for the worst perhaps coming into the second season. But like, this has all been pretty pretty solid stuff so far, and it's had some 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 good moments and some some good ideas. So I'm 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 on board at this point in time. I will also add that after the Decepticons fell into the water, Trailbreaker had the great line of, you deserve that mega jerk, rust in peace. Yeah, rust in peace is, is a good one. He's probably just gone with that and left the rest, because that's that's the, the gold material there. <laughs> also, fun fact, rust in peace is a really good Megadeth album. <laughs> I mean, also inspired by Transformers, probably. That came out circa 1990 or 91 so yeah it potentially could have been it turns out yeah. dave mustaine probably a really big transformers fan yeah yeah i mean it's 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 twice now that's no longer a coincidence that's scientific <laughs> like correlation and i mean what with that and you know that the episodes we're about to get to clearly inspired michael Crichton to, to write jurassic park so you know like transformers having a massive impact on on all popular culture as it turns out so we're, we're, we're here providing the information on this podcast now with the knowledge that the effects of the of the immobilizer will wear off over time, Prime makes the decision that they should go back to HQ and just hope that Wheeljack will recover quickly. Carly asks if she can come, to which Spike, the authority of the Autobots clearly, just says, sure thing, come along. And then, and then she follows them in, in her car. Just, I'm not even going to question it. Like, Spike having that authority, I don't understand. I mean, Spike's thought press is probably like, well, Laserbeak's going to be there spying on us anyway, so it doesn't really matter if we just invite anyone else in. You know, just open open season, open house in the yard. <laughs> At HQ, Ironhide is being repaired and is still beating himself up over what happened in the forest, despite the others kind of telling him, mate, it's, you know, it's not your fault. You know, stuff happened. He ultimately just says he is retiring from active service. In another corridor, Carly is sat next to Spike, and she can see that she, she feels really well. She feels really bad about a bunch of stuff that she effectively caused, and tells Ironhide it wasn't his fault, and that he should reconsider. But he still feels like it's his fault. And after she at least said, "Look, could you at least give me a tour of the HQ?" and she, he's just kind of like, "Sure, I can at least do that." They show her down in the armory, which. Look, I get Carly is a human, and probably, you know, a good human at first glance. You may think if you've met them for the first time. Would you really show them the armory that quickly? Have they not got, like, work their way up the pecking order just a little bit in trust? Just saying. I, I mean, my bigger issue there is that the Autobots armory is full of whacking great missiles. Like, <laughs> yes, why I'm going to get to that. those on the Decepticons? <laughs> like, why have you been keeping those for a rainy day? It's like, that looks like that could do a lot of damage and you could probably finish off the, the Decepticons in like 10 minutes flat. Why are these just sat around doing nothing? Like, come on. So, while Carly is having a tour of the armory and such, she expresses some strong views about the Decepticons and says that they should be pacified and so should their underwater base. How does she know there's an underwater base? Not going to question it. And then behind Ironhide's back, steals what appears to be a hand grenade. How the hand grenade is big enough for her hands, I'm not going to ask the question. 
Oh, this episode. In the main ops room, Wheeljack is now back to normal and is updated on the situation. Spike's wondering suddenly, where's Carly gone? And she's mysteriously vanished, as has her car outside, because that's where it was parked. And there was a very clear shot of that as we went back to the HQ earlier, well, a few moments earlier. And so they end up going to look for her. Meanwhile, Prime and everyone else, including Ironhide, which I think was an animation mistake, roll out to stop the Decepticons from making the effects of the, of the device permanent. We then cut to the ocean, where Carly has magically got a dive boat and is in a whole bunch of scuba gear and proceeds to dive down to Decepticon HQ, because she knows where it is, don't know how, just gonna gloss over that. She plants the hand grenade style bomb onto the side of the hull, if you will, and then starts swimming back to the boat. But Soundwave picks her up on his scanners and whatnot, and then sends Laserbeak to go get her. And we get a great sequence where Carly's back on the dive boat, but is having to avoid Laserbeak's attacks as he's just like effectively diving in trying to grab her and whatnot. And at one point, Carly even manages to throw her oxygen tank at Laserbeak, causing Laserbeak to go into the ocean. It's like, Carly's like a freaking magician at this point, how she can do everything. But ultimately, Laserbeak grabs her, and she and she's screaming, screaming in terror. Excuse me, as she's being flown above the water in the clutches of Laserbeak, and we go to a commercial break. There, there is a lot that happens there, Andy. But I'm gonna say it now: Carly's my favorite character. I mean, it's just, yeah, like you, you, you've got to, you've got to admire the uh, the, the cojones to be like, ah, I'm just gonna like. I mean, it's kind of hard mode mission like i'm just going to destroy the decepticon base with you know some diving equipment and one hand grenade um you know that's that's quite a big ask but kudos for trying like points for effort um but yeah like as, as mentioned not quite sure how well maybe everybody does just know where the decepticon base is that's kind of the interesting thing i feel like about the sort of the wider world in this particular cartoon because we know we get glimpses of you know humans kind of working with the Autobots. Everybody clearly knows who Autobots and Decepticons are, which again is like a divergence from the comic where there's often people are just like, it's the robots, they're all bad, they all destroy things, which if you've watched the last episode, you'd probably be inclined to agree. Um, but, um, you know, you, th there's not really much distinction, whereas it feels like in the, in the cartoon version, everybody knows who's who. So I guess maybe there would be news reports about like, oh yeah, like, you know, don't, don't swim here because this is where the Decepticon base is, or, or or whatever it is. So I guess there's there's maybe a, a a fair a fair reason why she might know that. But still, yeah, that's a it's an interesting way of deciding to deal with the problem on her part. But but fair play for trying. But honestly, like her, like in the dive boat, diving in and planting the bomb and stuff, and the whole laser beak scuffle. I think it's one of my favourite moments of all the Transformers episodes. It's just such a cool visual that a human is doing that to the Decepticons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, maybe not quite up there with, like, Spike's superhuman strength of, like, you know, throwing rocks at, 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 at Autobots, at Decepticons and what have you, but but yeah, it's still pretty, pretty impressive. So, back at Autobot HQ, Ironhide, who, as I alluded to, I guess didn't leave with the others a few moments ago, uh, is alerted by Sparkplug that Teletran is picking up a signal from the Sky Spy. Andy, I'm being a continuity fiend in this. Andy, didn't the Sky Spy get destroyed in a previous episode? I want to say it was fire in the sky. Yeah, it did get blown up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna again. I'll, I'll give them like 
a fair fair shake of the stick that they probably like repaired it or built a new one and launched that and so fair enough but they could have called it sky spy 2 just to clear up any confusion there <laughs> so the 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 signal that they get from sky spy is showing laserbeak having captured carly and then taking them taking her rather inside the decepticon hq spark plug pleads with ironhide to go and help her at Decepticon HQ, Laserbeak arrives and basically just dumps Carly onto the, onto the ground, which I thought was a bit unceremonious, to say the least, and is confronted by Megatron, Soundwave, and Skywarp. The latter, recognising her from the forest battle earlier in the episodes, and just basically going, she's with the Autobots. At this point, after getting a ride from Skyfire, out of nowhere, haven't seen them all episode, but again, won't let that judge anything, Ironhide finds Bumblebee and Spike just driving up the highway randomly and lets them know that Carly has been captured. They all roll out. Back at Decepticon HQ, remember that bomb that Carly planted? Well, it went off with quite a bang because apparently, even though Soundwave detected Carly, didn't actually detect there was a bomb. So there's a flaw there in Soundwave systems. But even though the flurry of water w was contained in a specific section of the Decepticon base, it's in the section that Carly is being held in. Oops. The Decepticons are watching on from like a closed window door as the water level is just rising really fast and Carly ain't got her scuba gear now. She's just stuck in this room. She's got no chance of escaping and she just gets completely submerged in water, at which point Megatron effectively just says, all right, entertainment over, back to work. You know, she's gone. At which point Ironhide busts a hole through the wall at the bottom of the ocean, grabs Carly, and makes a speedy exit to the surface. I assume Carly can hold her breath for that long and didn't get any decompression sickness? No, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to question it. On the beach, Carly is grateful for Ironhide rescuing her, saying, quote-unquote, and you say you're too old to make a difference, which Ironhide really liked that comment. Bumblebee and Spike arrive on the scene. Carly gets inside Bumblebee with Spike, and they begin to roll out to get away from there. Ironhide isn't following them. When they look back, Ironhide has now turned grey, which was the exact same colour that Wheeljack was earlier in the episode when he got immobilised. Megatron and crew are now on the surface, very much in, in view of Bumblebee, Spike and Carly, and reveal that they have made the effect permanent as they have tinkered with the device, and soon they'll be taking over the entire planet too. At that moment, Prime's crew arrive, and so a battle begins. Rumble is manning the immobilizer, and gotta say, Andy, Rumble has got a really good hit rate with that immobilizer. He was freaking getting them each time, you know, pretty much a perfect shot in most cases, immobilizing three Autobots in quick succession. But Carly has a plan, which we'll come back to in a moment, because I want to ask you, Andy... A lot has happened there, like the whole underwater stuff in the base and whatnot. Any other thoughts you want to convey? Because again, I've said it already, I'm loving this episode. It's so good. I really like the the, the whole scene with uh, with the, like the, the when the explosion goes off and you've got the rising water levels and Carly there. Because that, that is like peak evil Decepticon of just like, hey, this this will be fun. Let's just watch her drown. And it's like, it doesn't even, it doesn't dress that up or, or do anything with it. And it kind of just like lingers on it a bit of just like, they're literally, they're just going to sit there and watch her drown and then be like, yep, cool. Okay, done. Back to work. And like, that's a, 
that that's a, another pretty dark moment from these episodes and like it's it's a pretty good you know a, a pretty good kind of feeler for where the decepticons are at um on the flip side i feel like they were perhaps a bit premature telling the autobots like oh yeah we fixed the immobilizer so that it lasts forever because if they'd not mentioned that they would probably have been like well let's just like retreat with ironhide and he'll get back to normal eventually and you know they would have it would have bought them some time to do whatever nefarious things they were going to do with it but uh but then i guess we would have missed rumble's like 360 no scope of immobilizing a bunch of, of autobots in in quick succession so uh yeah like M- decepticon mvp rumble for this episode <laughs> so the plan that i mentioned was carly getting brawn to tunnel underground so that they end up right by the immobilizer and with the device now fixed on prime at this point carly gives us a signal to bumblebee which it turns out is to get jazz to transform speed across a bit of dirt and then just start using his ridiculously high-powered speaker system to just start blaring some music and i'm gonna call it blaring out some rock music and this as it's put as it's said by one decepticon it has disrupted their motor controls and this happens long enough for carly to sneak by them switch some cables around in the immobilizer and sneak away with the music now stopped Uh, because the plan is complete rumble gets back on the attack and goes to attack prime with it but instead the device just randomly decides to hit ironhide excuse me and restores him the controls have gone loopy and rumble takes a direct hit from ironhide if i remember correctly and the controller in the process is destroyed too ironhide is able to actually gain access to the device specifically just actually proper holding it and with him now in control it automatically starts reversing all the previous shots that it did so all the autobots that were immobilized are now unimmobilized i can't think of the right word to counter that but sure and then mobilized i guess yeah yeah, there you go mobilized because you know english jeremy let's work on that (laughs) so ironhide destroys the device and the decepticons in trademark fashion andy retreat so before we get to the next bit uh, thoughts on that sort of climax and what the actual plan of carly was because i think (laughs) we see some ridiculous plans but i just loved how okay let me put it this way if i'm a decepticon and suddenly someone starts blaring loud music and then it just randomly stops for no reason would you not think something's happened yeah yeah i mean i i guess like the the concept there is that it's yeah it's like this just the fact that they can hear it like disrupts them enough that they can't do anything much about it and that they're kind of disoriented um i i will say I mean, talking about the kind of improved animation of the second season, the whole stuff of like how it visualizes like jazz music playing is really cool. Like it's yeah. it's really kind of like psychedelic and funky, and feels like it almost comes from a different show. But it looks it looks really awesome. I I really enjoyed that. Um, I'm not sure, quite sure why. I just really enjoy Autobots tunneling. I'm not sure yeah. what it is. But, like, there's something about, you know, like, Braun just having a big drill and just, like, tunneling underground. And, like, we had it, you know, on the last podcast with, like, Sideswipe just, like, you know, tunneling. There's 
there's something pleasing about that, and I'm not quite sure what it is because it doesn't really make much sense. But it's 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 a cool thing that the Autobots seem to do quite a lot of. So I'm I'm well on with that. Um, and the rest of it, yeah, is kind of is kind of your typical resolution to a problem in this sort of cartoon of like ah if you basically there's an undo button on the the, the death ray <laughs> that you know just as long as you push that button then everything kind of gets fixed and it's like well cool i guess that's fine um so yeah so i guess you know but R- rumble turns to fumble when he kind of let the autobots <laughs> have the the machine i'm fully expecting that when they got back to decepticon hq skywarp was just ripping him a new one yeah, prob- probably called him a nerd or a geek or something, and uh, <laughs> then, you know, they, they got on with their day. So back at Autobot HQ, Ironhide is now officially back on active duty, and Carly no longer feels about, well, I say no longer feels bad, but, you know, is is happy at the resolution to partly what she was the cause of. She also reveals to Wheeljack that the reason that she knew how to, like, switch up the device was because when she was captured, she saw the Decepticons working on it and realised, quote, the ion flow could be redirected with a simple wire crossing. Yeah, I mean, I think we all saw that, so, oh, I mean, yeah. 100%. Yeah, of course, I mean, you know, the, the ion <laughs> flow, I mean, you know, it's... Uh... I mean, again, I really love like this series when it kind of gets deep into it's just like dumb jug and stuff because it always just some, somehow manages to really own it in a way. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that all sounds perfectly plausible. <laughs> she also added she wasn't sure it would work, but was a theory she had ever since accepting her science scholarship at MIT. Now, for those of you listening to this who perhaps don't know what MIT is, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but it's like one of the top universities in the world, right? <laughs> Yeah, it is basically the top like technology institute that it's just yeah like it's it's basically certainly in in fiction and I think it's pretty fair in real life as well. It is just the shorthand for like super smart tech person of just like oh they study at MIT and then it's just like no further questions. It's kind of like studying at Oxford or Cambridge in the UK of just like oh you know that's just like you know cream of the crop but with a very specific technological bent. So it's mm. like yeah okay cool. Like, no no further questions. At this point, Andy, Bumblebee whispers something in Spike's ear, and the following dialogue takes place. Spike says, Carly, how would you like to go out for an emulsified CO2 with lactic acid? Carly says, what's that? Spike responds, chocolate soda. Carly says, you're on. Then the two jump into Carly's car and drive off into the sunset with Spark Plug looking on a proud dad. And the episode ends. <laughs> what an ending to this episode. Yeah, I mean that that is your most like Saturday cartoon ending to, to anything. And yeah, like I was I was gonna slag Spike off for his bad chat up lines, but you know what? It works, so <laughs> fair. Like I, I, I feel like we've all learned something there. Um, so yeah, like fair, fair play to him. Also, I mean, I felt kind of bad for Bumblebee because at the start of this episode, like Carly was really into Bumblebee and was like, can you introduce me to the hot robot? And now it's just like, you know, Bumblebee has kind of stepped aside and like, let, let Spike take, uh, take his place. So, uh, yeah, like there's, there's, there's there's a love triangle developing here is what I'm saying. I mean, you could argue that now that she's friends with all the Autobots, she hasn't got, you know, she, she's friends with them. She hasn't got to try and get an in into the Autobots, if you will. Because, you know, she knows Bumblebee. Now she knows Prime, for crying out loud, you know. 
And yeah, she, and she, you know, she works on tech anyway. So now she's like, well, I could help the Autobots in general. You know, I don't need to worry about just the one. This is true, but it, 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 it felt like she, she maybe had a romantic interest in Bumblebee, but maybe he's dedicated to that girl's brother's car that he, he was introduced to in season one. So like what, maybe, in, maybe in, that... what was it, in Peru, was it? Yeah, yeah, maybe they're going steady, who knows. <laughs> so, okay, this is a, <laughs> a weird point to make to end, this, to end this talk on this episode. When I hear the word lactic acid, I don't associate it with a drink. I associate it with, like, you know, muscles having produced lactic acid from doing exercise or something. So as soon as I hear the word lactic acid, I'm just like, you what? Don't offer someone a drink that's got lactic acid. That can't be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like I should have, like, checked up the science on this. Is like, is that actually, like, you know, the composition of a chocolate soda? Or did they just find some words that looked good? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not a chef. I've not made, you know, any kind of, like, chocolate shake or anything. But I... I'm not entirely convinced that that's actually the correct recipe. Uh, but maybe if we want to do a bonus episode, we can be like, you know, Transformers cooking. Like, can can you make a chocolate drink out of whatever it was that Spike said? <laughs> we'll, just de- we'll debunk any kind of theory that they say on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Transformers Mythbusters would be our, our, spin-off, our spin-off show. <laughs> so Andy, that episode as a whole, or what did you think? It, it's pretty flipping obvious because i've already said it a few times i loved this episode like i say i think carly's probably my new favorite character at the moment like such a great addition to the show and this episode was great yeah and i mean i I really like that you know they've introduced carly not as your just your like screaming damsel in distress but again like we said with you know spike etc she has agency on things she sometimes gets things done sometimes tries to get things done and it goes horribly wrong um but you know she she actually Puts in the effort and, you know, as it establishes at the end of this episode, you know, she's got the smarts as well, you know, much like kind of Chip in the first season, like, you know, she, she's got she's got the brains. Um, and so, yeah, she's kind of a, a good character to have on board there. Uh, but generally, yeah, like, I, I feel like this is, this probably set the tone for me in terms of, like, my palette for season two of just like, okay, it's going to have more goofy moments and terrible chat-up lines and whatever else. But actually, it still has a, some solid kind of stories at its core and, you know, some some interesting moments and, as previously mentioned, like, the best comedy slapstick, beautifully timed gag in the entire series so far that I will hold in my heart and cherish forever. So, yeah, like, it, it had it had plenty to be, to be getting on with and I was kind of... I was kind of into it for, for the most part. So from there, everybody, we now move on to the third episode of season two, Dinobot Island, part one. We begin the episode with Bumblebee and Powerglide. Who the heck's Powerglide? Dunno, we just got to accept it. Flying towards a source of, of strange energy that has been picked up by Teletran on its sensors, with the goal being for them to find out what the heck is going on there, then to report back accordingly. Bumblebee is is taken aback with the importance of the mission that's been put upon him and is a little bit, don't mess up, better not mess this up. Powerglide then decides to go for a joyride, which then sends him into the strange energy wave that kind of looks like, I would almost describe it, Andy, as being like a tornado emanating from the sea, but a tornado of literal energy. I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. 
They end up flying through it and discover upon exiting that there's an island, like, just in front of them, but it's not on any records. Uh, Power Glide... So, Power Glide's character, based on on how Bumblebee kind of reacts to him a little bit, kind of has what I'll almost say, like, sort of commercialised dialogue. So, one of his lines is, Great! Old Power Glide loves mystery! But just imagine that being said in, like, an American accent, basically. Yeah. I mean, one, one, of, one of my early notes for this episode is just, I forgot Power Glide is annoying. <laughs> I honestly barely remember Power Glide at all. That's just me yeah. being honest. I, I mean, I, I, and we can look forward to this later in the season. I remember him mostly because of one of the, the few VHS tapes that was actually bought for me of Transformers. Um, it's, his headline act was The Girl Who Loved Power Glide. Um, with with the, uh, ironically the second or maybe actually that was the second story to Call of the Primitives which is as mentioned previously like one of my favourite Transformers stories but yeah that was the, the other kind of big selling point was that it had the girl who loved Power Glide on it so look forward to your Power Glide centric episode <laughs> soon suddenly Bumblebee has an encounter with a Pteranodon you know the dinosaur that Swoop was based off uh, and is grabbed by it we then get the, the current exchange of dialogue, and I will try and do my Power Glide impression once again. Hang in there, Bumblebee. Prepare for a daring rescue manoeuvre. With Bumblebee then simply responding back with, can't he just save a guy without doing a commercial? Power Glide literally throws missiles at the Pteranodon to drop Bumblebee. <laughs> but the jetpack that Bumblebee was using to fly, which we didn't actually bring that up, Andy. Bumblebee was flying on his own using a jetpack, which... The only other time we've seen that was the very... Well, the, that first story, more than meets the eye, wasn't it? With how Prime ultimately downed the Decepticons, I think. Yeah, it's confusing because sometimes they can just fly. Sometimes they seemingly can't fly. Sometimes they can fly but need a jetpack. Like, I, I, I continue to tell myself that it's something to do with range and speed, that they need these have these various configurations. But I think it's one of those, it's just whatever's convenient for the plot. And this week is convenient that Bumblebee can fly for a bit and then can't. So mm. we get, we're, we're in jetpack territory. So Bumblebee's jetpack is basically trashed by the Pteranodon, and he goes crash landing onto the island below. When he gets, he gets a chance to look around a little bit, Bumblebee's taken aback, and Power Glide's trying to fix his backpack just by using some kind of ray, and it's seemingly fixing it. You know, that's a cool ability. I like that. But Bumblebee is recognising the island layout from pictures that he saw while the Dinobots were being constructed. Suddenly, a Tyrannosaurus Rex appears and attacks Bumblebee. And then he grabs onto Power Glide's wing, and they basically just ditch the busted jetpack and get the heck back to HQ. At HQ, everyone is shocked about what Bumblebee and Power Glide have told them, and the fact that there are actual dinosaurs on this island, leading to a discussion about how it's bad enough having Dinobots, let alone actual real dinosaurs in the world, which Wheeljack counterpoints that, to the people who are saying that, by going, look, I've been teaching the Dinobots how to utilise their powers with finesse. To which we then get the following line from Huffer. Brilliant baloney, Wheeljack. Once a dino klutz, always a dino klutz. But go ahead with your demonstration. It'll only prove my point. To which Wheeljack responds with, 
I think you're going to eat those words on a silicone wafer. Yeah, yet, yet another food reference in these <laughs> in these episodes. Although that's actually a really good one because, like, the the silicon that you're you know your your chips and processors are, are made on are actually wafers. That's what they're called. So it's, oh. a, it's a smart it's a smart little kind of bit of wordplay there. I do I do appreciate that one. That's that's that gets my seal of approval. <laughs> So at this point, Grimlock appears and transforms, and Blaster? Who the heck is Blaster? You're wondering. I know, right? No formal introduction whatsoever. Easy way to describe it, the Autobot version of Soundwave. Transforms into a cassette into cassette deck mode, if you will, and begins playing some incredibly loud rock-slash-jazz music. With Grimlock using a fire blast, specifically to hit the singular play button on the front of the cassette deck, because you see... You see, utilising powers, Andy, with finesse. Finesse. And also, it should be worth noting that the music is so loud that it's causing everyone great pain. A recurring theme in this show, it turns out. Sludge and Slag then appear and are just as confused at the situation, but transform and join in anyway. But not before they bump into Grimlock, somehow, who starts then losing his balance in a spectacular way, even though he's in his T-Rex form and starts fire-breathing everywhere in the process. Andy, it has been at least one day since the last accident inside the Ark. I feel the need to note this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least we had an, an entire episode where the accidents were outside the Ark. So, you know, I guess, <laughs> you know, this is this is probably a new record. They probably, you know, somebody got an award somewhere for like, no, well done, we had an entire episode where we didn't wreck anything in the place. But hey, let's play with the Dinobots for a bit. <laughs> so, also, uh, shout out to Grimlock for this line of dialogue. I can't do the impression of it, but just imagine Grimlock saying it. Slag, sludge, go away. Me, Grimlock, demonstrating finesse. Whatever that means. <laughs> Just freaking great. Also, at that point, promptly tail whips a bunch of equipment as well, because there's no way to not damage anything in this show. <laughs> there's more shenanigans going on that lead to Snarl and Swoop, curious to see what is going on. They end up getting in the action as well, and suddenly we've got an all-out Dinobot fight. Because, of course we have. Trailbreaker sets up a force field around Teletran 1 because that's about to be destroyed again. And suddenly we see Inferno and Red Alert. Who, you're wondering? I know, right? No introduction whatsoever. Uh, who then rapidly put out the fire because they're clearly the fire recruit team at this point. Prime then orders Grimlock to, to end the chaos, which he does by ordering the Dinobots to end the chaos and transform. Grimlock says to Prime that they don't want to cause trouble, which Prime completely understands credit to him, but it's just that they need more room to train. Bumblebee suggests then, why don't they go to that island that they found? Plenty of room there. Gonna, gonna pause there for a sec, Andy, because there's, there's a lot that's happened here at the start of this episode. That's also roughly the first eight minutes of the episode, I should emphasise as well at that point. Thoughts on all of this that goes on? It's... It's quite a way to get the Dinobots to leave the HQ for a, for a day or so, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it feels kind of bizarre. Like th this was definitely like a story that I kind of struggled to to, to just let it pan out because you you just start with like, oh, there's an island full of dinosaurs, and I'm like, what? I'm, 
I'm sorry, like I'm not quite sure I follow, <laughs> you know, because I, I feel like because Transformers up to this point has had, you know, there's a lot of unbelievable stuff, but it's mostly around kind of technology in a way that it's like, yeah, sure, I can buy into this. Or even, you know, the whole power crystal thing near the end of season one. It's like, well, it feels like there's enough kind of connective tissue here for me to buy into this but like the sudden like oh island of dinosaurs is like it feels like it's kind of stretching things a little thin there um so that's kind of a bit of a struggle um but it is also it's weird but also i kind of like the fact that this is a set of episodes where it feels like the writers have literally had the toy box tipped upside down in front of them. Like, there you go, you've got all these to play with now. <laughs> go knock yourself out, have fun. And they're like, ooh, there's a red plane. And ooh, there's, the Autobots have a cassette deck now. Cool. Um, and, oh, look, there's a fire engine. Great. Um, and, you know, they just... And, and you know, th- throughout the, the, the coming episodes, you really... You really just get a whole bunch of Transformers just thrown at you. And it's it feels really jarring, I think, having come straight off of season one, where every new character gets an origin story. Like, even if it's a perfunctory, like, yeah, we made them. Like, you still get a, this is why these Transformers are here right now. Whereas season two has no care about the origin stories of where most of these characters came from. It's just like, nope, these are all the toys. Here you go. You know, his blaster his power glide and you know you you just see more and more of them just cropping up through these episodes which is more like you know the transformers nerd in me enjoys that it's just like oh hey look it's these guys um but yeah like if you're coming into this completely cold you're just like wait who, who are these people and where did they come from yeah so to give like the full list we've had power glide blaster inferno and red alert so far just yeah. at random. Uh, yeah. It would be interesting to see, because obviously there's the whole thing that we've talked about before of there being, like, the production order versus the broadcast order. So it would actually be interesting to see where Dinobot Island, in theory, takes place, because we may end up getting more origin style episodes involving all of these characters. Because, like, I want to know why they suddenly have their own cassette tape deck. You know? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And it, it feels like the Autobots have just like looked at Soundwave like, oh, we don't want we don't want someone boring like that. And they've just gone like the exact opposite, uh, exact opposite end of the spectrum. And yeah, I mean, you know, having a, a quick sneaky look at the production order, like, yeah, the, these episodes are way down the list in terms of production order. Um, and even in the kind of like initial order that they were kind of slated to appear in, they're quite a way down. So it does kind of explain why they've just cropped up out of nowhere. But I I feel like what I do remember of the second season is that it doesn't really bother too much about introducing characters. Like, it'll give some of them episodes to be like, hey, here we go. Um, you know, here's, here's a, a chance to, to learn a little bit more about these characters and what they're all about. But I don't think any or many of them get actual proper kind of introductions in the way that the Constructicons or Skyfire or the, or the Insecticons do. It's just like, I don't know, probably a space bridge got opened up. It was like, you know, buy one, get one free on tickets to Earth. And so <laughs> a whole bunch of Autobots were just like, yeah, sure, let's let's go visit. Let's go see Optimus Prime, see how he's doing. Well, that, that, that actually poses an interesting question, not to sidebar too much here, because I appreciate we're already going, we're going to be going fairly long in this episode, but... It does 
raise the question of they've been to Cybertron a couple of times now, the Autobots, since they've been on Earth. We've not actually ever seen any more Autobots on Cybertron. So we don't actually know who else there is yet, as it were. Yeah, yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and again, I, I seem to recall there's there's not, from what I've seen, there's there's not a whole lot of kind of Cybertronian action in this second season. Um, so yeah, maybe they're all just bored. It's just like, well, you know, Shockwave's just there complaining about not having enough energy on the Decepticon side. So I don't know, it seems like all, all the fun times are on Earth. Um, which I think is something that like the the comics play with a little bit, where yeah, there are definitely characters who are like great, you know. I've I've heard Earth is where all, all the all the actions at, so you know, let's get over there. And that the, the comics certainly make judicious use of the space bridge of just like finding various ways to dump new characters in. But even that sometimes, even the comics sometimes were just like, yeah, they they're just here now. Don't ask where they came from. Just in, enjoy enjoy your favorite Transformers suddenly appearing in these episodes. Just, just please accept it. Exactly. So, Andy, I mentioned a moment ago that we're eight minutes in. I think it's worth noting, we're eight minutes in and we've not seen a single Decepticon yet. Yeah, By Transformers yeah. standards, that's actually quite long. But, do you want to know who we see outside? No, everyone, not Laserbeak this time. It's Ravage, because Ravage and Soundwave are snooping about outside Autobot HQ and Ravage all but stumbles upon a secret exit in the volcano, because apparently that's a thing, that the Dinobots, Prime, Bumblebee, Spike, Ratchet, Powerglide, and Wheeljack appear from. The plan is for the Dinobots to temporarily relocate to the new island that has been discovered, where they can train and have plenty of room to do it. All of them are very happy at this prospect, to say the least. Powerglide and Spike then lead the way the Dinobots follow accordingly. Soundwave reports what's happened to to Megatron, and he is intrigued by the idea of this island, and Laserbeak is dispatched to follow the Dinobots. They arrive at the island, which is named by Spike as Dinobot Island, and the Dinobots themselves feel like home as soon as they touch on the ground, though they don't really know why, but obviously because they're based on dinosaurs it kind of makes sense. Spike notices that the island is kind of like a Lost World-style time capsule, like having the dinosaurs about and whatnot, but also there's multiple energy sources like oil pools and volcanoes. Laserbeak at this point is spying on them because Laserbeak has been snooping around the entire time and is also recording video footage that he then departs to take back to Decepticon HQ with. The Dinobots are really liking what they see in this island and Powerglide makes it clear eh, it's not really his kind of place. At that point, they realise Spike is missing. Where has Spike gone? He's gone gallivanting around the island with no one else about to help him should he get into trouble. Say Andy, for example, if he were to be attacked by a flying dinosaur bird-looking thing, gets picked up and dropped into a nest. That would be bad if that happened, wouldn't it? Yep, yep. It's zero days since the last accident <laughs> involving Spike. <laughs> So Swoop ends up coming in to quite literally swoop in and save him, puts him back on the ground somewhere, and then basically goes, take care, Spike, and flies off. <laughs> then Spike is then musing, oh, wow, there's so many dinosaurs here. I should be careful and keep an eye out for stuff. Then it's attacked by another dinosaur <laughs> a few moments later. We didn't even get one minute before the last accident. 
Like, yeah, yeah. I, I did. My, my only note here is just Spike is having a bad time. <laughs> so at that point, we've had a commercial. We come back from the commercial. A few now. A couple of the Dinobots bandy together to, to help out Spike is the easy way to sum it up. It's a cool little moment, actually, with a little bit of a team-up happening. Back at Decepticon HQ, Megatron sees the footage that Laserbeak has recorded, likes what he sees, and the Decepticons make an immediate journey to the new island. But Starscream is noting in the process, are you not concerned about the random energy reading that Laserbeak had? I.e. that whole tornado vortexy likey thing. To which Megatron's just basically like, shut up, Starscream. That's effectively what he's doing at this point. On the island, we see the Dinobots try and do some target practice with pretty dire results, it's got to be said. But then they transform where Grimlock instructs Swoop to do flying stuff and then Slag to do fire stuff and then Snarl to do tail stuff and then says, you're not doing it good enough. <laughs> and then... This in turn is causing problems with the local dinosaur inhabitants, if you will. And that is when the Decepticons arrive. I'll give you a chance to speak now, Andy. Anything in particular you wanted to note from those? Did you enjoy the flying stuff bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is some, some good Grimlock stuff of just kind of good, good writing of, of his character, as always. Um, I did enjoy Spike's line, this monster thinks I'm a meatloaf. Um, which uh, entertainment also also not wrong, um, not wrong. Um, so yeah, like <laughs> very questionable by Spike's decision making and those of, I mean, where's Spark plugging all this to be like don't don't play with the dinosaurs like it's not gonna end well. Um, and yeah, like it's it's always nice to see some some Dinobot time. So I'm 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 here for that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's you know. Some, some 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 fun stuff there at least. Starscream is still concerned about the energy waves that he mentioned a few moments ago, but Megatron's having none of it and just orders them to start collecting energon. Now, I will note here, Andy, because it's an interesting thing to note here. There appear to be new style energon cubes because before, in previous incarnations of the energon cubes, we've seen them have to like directly feed the energy into a cube, be it like plugging in, you know. A tube or like just hosing them in if you will with this they basically suck up the energy which i think is actually a cool new addition to that concept of how they make energy it kind of doesn't it means they don't have to constantly go to a hydro plant they could just take anything that's in their path i actually really liked that as a new design choice yeah yeah i mean i, I again i don't recall whether this is just one of those sort of episodic things and they'll they'll do something different the next week but yeah this feels like some v2 of the energon cubes like ho hopefully less liable to explode like un unexpectedly as well because you know again health and safety not very high priority on either side here apparently <laughs> but uh, th those cubes did used to blow up a heck of a lot a lightning bolt suddenly strikes and starscream is really worried and megatron in what i've written down here andy is doing his best impression of a dalek from doctor who says continue the energy collection also Cue Jeremy losing his mind over, there's another Transformer here? At this point, we see there's another Decepticon, but we don't know who it is yet. Coincidence? Probably. We'll find out in a few minutes who that is. Swoop on his aerial journey spots the Decepticons, reports this to the other Dinobots, and then they make haste to go get rid of them. 
We then cut to the city. Yeah, because, you know, change of location. Where Spike and Bumblebee are coming out of the library. Because as mentioned earlier, at this point, Powerglide and Spike have now left Dinobot Island. The Dinobots are there by themselves. So Spike and Bumblebee are coming out of a library with lots of dinosaur books. When suddenly, a strange portal appears in front of them. We come to learn in a few moments, this is a time warp. And in the middle of the street, all of a sudden, we see a quote-unquote barbarian and woolly mammoth. And they start causing some havoc in the downtown area. Spike and Bumblebee end up taking refuge in an abandoned building, which the mammoth brings down with not much effort at all. Spike and Bumblebee buried under a bunch of debris. How many hours since Spike's last accident? We won't get into that now. <laughs> Back on the island, the Decepticons have gathered a large amount of Energon, but the Dinobots are on their way. Megatron's plan is to incite rage in the real dinosaurs to counteract the fact that the Dinobots are there. And ultimately, he kind of succeeds because he leads them in a path to go towards the Dinobots. The Dinobots are stuck on a cliff edge. They are heavily outnumbered. And ultimately, the cliff gives way under their weight and they fall into a tar pit. And the episode ends with the Dinobots sl sinking slowly until we can't see them again into the tar. Scene. W Woolly Mammoth aside, we'll get to that in a second, Andy. But I really like this storyline involving the Dinobots and how it's, it's very much focused on them in these episodes. They are the primary focus. And I just like the fact... They're, in, they're almost in their own habitat, but they're not. There's just something really cool that, Jer that like, kid Jeremy is just like, that's so cool I get to, like, meet dinosaurs. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I sort of kind of wish that they spent... I, I almost wish that that was the sole focus of, sort of, this story rather than having all the kind of time warp stuff that that springs up around it because that to me yeah feels far more interesting and then yeah like the, the dinobots get their their own version of quicksand that being the tar pit which you know is is, is a, a variation on the theme um uh, but but fair play to them um but yeah like it's sort of the split focus, I think, is where it maybe started to lose me a bit because, like, as, as, as entertaining as it is to have the, the literal line, like, it's some kind of barbarian on a woolly mammoth, which, you know, <laughs> never thought I'd get to see that say that on a podcast. Um, you know, that's kind of, like, stretching the incredulity even thinner after we've had our Dinobot Islands. Um, but, hey, it paves the way for some good elephant jokes, so who am I to complain? <laughs> So from there, everyone, let's carry straight on because we are now heading to Dinobot Island Part 2. That being Season 2, Episode 4. Megatron is looking over the tar pit that the Dinobots have plunged into, knowing that nothing else will stop him now and he can get the energy that he wants. Quote-unquote from Starscream, but draining those energies might upset the chronological balance of this island. It already drifts precariously in a sea of time. I really, really liked that line from Starscream, Mandy. Primarily because it brought back the scientist element of Starscream that we got to see a glimpse of in Season 1. And it, again, it's him actually showing concern. And Megatron, in a few moments, once again, just basically tells him, Shut up, Starscream. <laughs> if only that was an actual line in the show, it'd be great. But there is just this really cool thing that Starscream's talking sense and is using that scientist knowledge of his to, to actually raise concern. I really, really like that. 
Yeah, I, I kind of wish the series did that sort of more consistently because there are certainly there, there are times where there's kind of sciencey stuff going on and Starscream is sort of like the idiot of like, oh, what's this? I don't understand. And then the next moment you get a really good moment like that where he's kind of like, he he, he gets it and it's like, this this doesn't seem good. Um, and that, that kind of plays off a lot better, especially when you've got that against Megatron's just shut up Starscream as mentioned. Um, so yeah, I, I, did, I did appreciate that at least. But now the island is starting to, you know react weirdly to having all of its energy drained. We get eruptions, earthquakes, you name it, there's pretty much all of it. Starscream at this point muses that maybe Megatron has finally crossed the line on the island, and sooner or later he'll be the leader of the Decepticons. If you were looking for your Starscream bingo card box there of Starscream wanting to be leader, you may now check that off. Back at Autobot HQ, the room has been completely repaired! Yay! And Teletran is picking up a signal to a portal, which is actually outright referred to as a time warp, as I mentioned a few moments ago, in the city. A bunch of Autobots then roll out to the city, which is currently in chaos when they arrive. They manage to unearth Bumblebee and Spike from the rubble of the building, with when more humans and creatures suddenly come through the time warp, and they are causing more damage and destruction. And now, something that you were alluding to earlier, Andy, about the previous episode when he wasn't really showing much caution if you will, when it came to their actions. He outright specifically says in this instance he, that they have to urge caution when dealing with them because they are like humans. He didn't say flesh creatures, but that's almost what I said. But they, you know, they are flesh creatures, therefore they're not us, so you've got to take a bit more care when dealing with them. Huffer, Sideswipe, and Ironhide are able to get hold of a woolly mammoth, basically holding it above their head like, a like they're going to body slam it. It's quite a sight. And Prime has the actual genuine ingenious idea of using that giant trailer of his to store the woolly mammoths in. Not a line I'm ever expecting to say on a podcast, but I did, so there you go. And then just as Prime is heading towards the time warp, it's closing! Oh no! Then Sunstreaker and Hound use an ability from their respective handguns to basically force the portal back open. I'm not sure that's how time warp portals work. But I won't judge because I literally don't know. No, and, and and also time warp portals aren't real, so like you know, fictional <laughs> characters Andy? can shoot their fictional guns <laughs> and do whatever they like, I guess, to keep the time warp portal open. I mean, it was kind of I quite liked the effects that they used for that stuff. So it's mm. like that's visually it looked quite good. So that that's fine. I think that's that 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 allows the science to stand because it looked kind of cool. I will say overall, actually, visually. Like, th this Dinobot Island arc, if you will, has actually been really visually pleasing to look at. Yeah, well, I mean, we've not really had any desert time in any of the episodes we've we've covered on, on this instalment. Um, and, yeah, like, we've had a decent variety of, yeah, kind of our Dinobot Island. We've had some, you know, stuff in, in the city. We've had a few other sort of disparate locations. Um, and, yeah, there's been a lot of good kind of, like, you know, incidental stuff to that. It's like early in this episode, I really love all the readouts that Teletran shows on screen that is, like, it is the most anime just, like, show science stuff and it's just like a lot of kind of like charts and like wavering like things and like pyramids and spheres and like shapes and it's just like this just looks really cool like this 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 is what i imagine like advanced autobot science looks like and it's like i'm here for it 
the Autobots are able to direct the Barbarians and the Mammoths in the back of the trailer of Prime back into the portal before it actually closes. But what caused the time warp? Spike suggests that Chip Chase, who we've not seen in a hot minute, and Teletran could probably figure this out. We then see both Beachcomber and Perceptor. Who? That's just the way it works. <laughs> uh, they offer to help Chip however they can. Chip knows who they are, so he knows freaking more than we do at this point. Suddenly, another time warp alarm goes off in two new locations. One, it turns out, is on the ocean where a pirate ship comes through, and another one is somewhere on a road where a biker gang are met with bandits on horseback. <laughs> sure. Sure. We then cut to Sea Spray, tracks, and I'm going to be honest, Andy, I don't know who the third Autobot is, but it was a red car on skis. So if you know the name, more power to you, but they never explicitly say it in the show. They deal with the pirate ship. Trax using a cool ability where he can sort of make a specific area that he shoots some guns at just be in complete darkness. So the actual pirates who had like threatened a really rich guy's boat and and the wenches, quote unquote, that were on the boat with them, uh, they suddenly couldn't see because they had like a dark cloud surrounding them. Really cool ability. I really, really like that. And ultimately, all three of the Autobots are able to push this giant galleon back through the time warp because Sea Spray, you see, is a hoverboat. So they kind of all work together to be able to do that. Remember those bandits on horseback I mentioned? They had quite a battle with the biker gang. This was something else. You got to see a bandit from a far gone era on horseback try and work a bike and really just crash it. It was something to see. At which point, I, forgot how, I forgot how funny that was until you mentioned it. And it's just like, oh, he's going to get on the bike. This, is, is this going to end badly? Oh, yeah, it is. Like, within two seconds. That's fantastic. Ratchet, Proud, Jazz, and Red Alert and Inferno arrive and then work together to ultimately push them back through the portal. Anything else you want to say about these, Andy? I, I don't have anything else to say because I think the way I've recapped them enough sums it up. Just very much a... Sure... Sure, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was another kind of just like sort of mind-expanding moment of like, oh my god, so many new Autobots. I, I was particularly super excited to see Trax appear. I'm not quite sure why. I was just like, oh, Trax. I'm not. Th there's a Transformer I've not thought about in I don't know how many years, and it's like, oh, it's Trax, and he has a really interesting voice, and it's just like, oh, cool. And then yeah, like he he gets to do some some, some cool stuff. Um, so much so that I'm not sure who that other Autobot that you mentioned who is in that scene is either because I was just too excited that it was that Trax was there. Um, also really confused that Sea Spray is a hovercraft but he was kind of like hovering above the sea. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how that works but he's a transformer I guess if he wants to do that he can. Um, so that's all good. Um, I, I do also realise that we didn't talk about the the, the fantastic elephant uh, gags during the whole mammoth thing. Oh, um, genu you're, if you've got them written down, go for it, mate. Because I actually don't, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think it was I, I think it was Huffer that that basically like I think one of the mammoths like trashes a car or two, and he's just like, eh, I bet his insurance doesn't cover elephant damage. <laughs> um, but then I'm I'm really annoyed that I didn't write down who said this because of course somebody said I hope you packed your trunk while they're sending the mammoths back through the time warp. And it's like, I laughed and I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> Are you sure it just wasn't Huffer? 
No, I felt like that was it was it was maybe like Sunstreaker or Hounds because they were doing their thing there. But uh, I hope you packed your trunk. Good, fair play. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Back at base, Chip Chase traces the course of the disturbances to Dinobot Island. Then the volcano that the Ark is lodged in starts erupting. Oh oh, spaghettios! Not 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 again. <laughs> I know, right? So at this point, Prime Warpath, who? <laughs> uh, Beachcomber, Perceptor, Ironhide, Smokescreen, who? Uh, and Trailbreaker each put on a jetpack and head to Dinobot Island. How many Transformers can we get introduced to in these two episodes? Flip it, heck. Uh, on the island, Megatron is demanding that more cubes be made, but Starscream says, quote-unquote, they have violated the island with cataclysmic results. That is a quote there, Andy. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, somebody bought Starscream a dictionary for Christmas. Because like <laughs> this this episode he's really just like banging out all the big all, all the seven letter scrabble words. <laughs> this prompts a volcano to explode, because of course. Starscream says that they must leave, but Megatron doesn't care if the entire Earth explodes. They can always relocate. They'll get the energy on that they need. We then look at the tar pit where the Dinobots fell. And suddenly, just like that, all the tar is gone. And we see the five Dinobots, and a bunch of dinosaur skeletons as well, it should be said, just at the bottom of what there was, of what was rather, a tar pit. Slag uses his fire breath to melt away slash evaporate some of the tar on his fellow comrades. But Swoop is able to get to the top of the actual pit and then he, he finishes the job because Slag's just got no more energy. And then the favor is returned to him and all of them are fresh and clean from tar. Realizing the, the island is still in danger, they go hunt some Decepticons. Prime's crew arrive on the island, which leads to a firefight, predictably, between the Autobots and Decepticons. With Megatron having the great line of Reduce them to lithium litter. I felt the need to say that. It's, it's, it's a very good line. We then see Starscream, Skywarp, Thundercracker, and three other jets who we've never been introduced to, and they are not named either, <laughs> start delivering an aerial assault on the Autobots. It's a back-and-forth battle with Warpath and Perceptor. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, Perceptor? I didn't focus on that, did I? Who? <laughs> um, managing to get some hits on the Seekers before Starscream's Null Ray incapacitates them. Soundwave utilizes Megatron in handgun form to to basically cause some earthquakes and more eruptions because that's how powerful Megatron's blasts are. We then see a tank battle between Warpath and Blitzwing. Remember that other Decepticon I mentioned earlier, everybody? That's who it was! Blitzwing! Who? <laughs> Which causes more explosions. But the Dinobots are seeing that the local inhabitants, i.e. the dinosaurs, are angry. And so Grimlock inspires the real dinosaurs in his robot dinosaur form to join them and fight the Decepticons. I love that moment. It's so absurd. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Like it, it sort of it, it's another one of those things that sort of turns into a recurring theme with Grimlock, where he just sort of like inspires reverence in people. Because like in Transformers the movie, he does it with the Sharkticons, and it's like, yeah, I guess he's got this sort of like 
I was gonna say King of the Jungle thing. That's lions, not not T Rexes. <laughs> but he has that kind of like you know ultimate sort of beast of his era that I guess just like transmits to certain people. And it's like yeah, okay, I guess that's sort of believable. Like he's super strong, so sure, I, I can I can buy into that. The Autobots are nearing defeat when the dinosaurs arrive and demolish the Decepticons, including one, which I think is the best moment of this entire scene, where a dinosaur just outright runs and tackles Megatron, like he's a freaking American football player or something. <laughs> it's freaking great. Yeah. The Dinobots ultimately confront Megatron themselves, and Megatron just orders a retreat. He is done. The Energon cubes are destroyed, and all of that time-displaced energy that was built up in them whisks away back to their rightful place. Prime is very happy with what he has seen from the Dinobots, as they have showed and demonstrated that they can really work well as a team, and that they have finesse. And so, he says they can remain at Autobot headquarters. You may now start the timer for how long until there is another accident. <laughs> <laughs> that is the end of that episode. Uh, mate... Again, really, really enjoyed this. Some absurd moments. The amount of new Transformers that just, at the very least, appear in this is utterly ridiculous. And it did just scream someone at like the higher-ups of, of Hasbro, I guess, or someone at a TV studio going, we need to push these new Transformers. What's an episode that we've got where it's got as many as possible? And this yeah. was the one they went with. Uh, well, and I, I feel like, again, this this was probably something of a calculated move because it's a two-parter because it was probably more likely to end up on vhs tapes and you know on home uh. video they were probably like this is a really good vehicle with every pun intended to like sell all these new transformers in um and that i mean obviously you know, th this does seem like it came late in the production order so i suspect you know this was not the canonically in terms of when they were produced this was probably not the first appearance from all of them but it's a very definite attempt to slam as many different toys into this into scenes as it possibly can um you know rather than just focusing on you know a few newcomers and and to be fair like i, I mean i know it's it's one of those difficult things it's hard to separate out as someone who is a fan of transformers and just like seeing new transformers appear like you know whether it would have the same effect with without that kind of prior knowledge of like who the heck are all these people um and you you know the Barring maybe, I mean, I feel like Trax is probably the only person that really gets to do anything much cool. Like some of the others get some lines. I mean, Power Glide gets a bit of time, but like most of them are just sort of they're just kind of there. Like you say, I mean, the the other Seeker Jets, you know, they don't even get name checked in in the episode. They're just you know there, and it's like, well, look up the toy catalog if you want to know more about these guys. <laughs> but but overall, though, mate, what did you think of the Dinobot Island as an arc into itself? Yeah, it was it was fine. Like I, I think my biggest problem with it is that you know it just has this whole dinosaur island and the whole time warp thing, and it's not really part of any bigger picture plan, or there's no sort of mastermind behind it. It's just kind of happens, and that sort of I, I was kind of like hoping for sort of some kind of plot twist where it's like ah, you know, this is the Decepticons newest you know cunning plan because i mean if you can make a space bridge surely you can make like a time travel bridge um or something like that but it's like no it's just this weird thing that's happened and it's sort of it, it feels like it feels like somebody somewhere had like a wall chart where they were figuring out episodes for this and somebody had written you know time warp on it and somebody had written like what if you know 
we had you know western cowboys versus bikers and someone else had written what about pirates and someone else had written what about woolly mammoths and they're like well that guy's weird we shouldn't let him write transformers but what if we put all of these into one story oh and also the dinobots and so it kind of feels like a bit of a throw everything at the wall story and to be fair i guess enough of it sticks that you know it's kind of fun to watch but it's not it, it doesn't have quite the sort of tight narrative of some of the stories that I like that we've watched so far. I completely agree and understand what you are saying. Personally, I just got a real kick out of these episodes. It might be like the whole season two nostalgia thing for me that just really, just really like the the bug bit me good and proper because this is my Transformers now. Because I talked about it before, like season one I didn't really recall much of or if any of. But season two, I, I've got vivid memories of. And, like, the whole, like, soundtrack from G.I. Joe being in there as well and whatnot, act, slash Action Force. There's just a lot of nostalgia things hitting me. So maybe next time I might not be as kind to these, depending on how the episodes are. Because, um, <clears throat> well, actually, we'll get to that in a second, what the next episodes are. But, but yeah, I just had really, really good fun with these. And, and also, just as a whole, these four episodes that we've covered to date, really solid start to season two. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, good, good, varied stuff. You know, it's it's not not just your your, your typical your typical odds and ends. Um, so yeah, like I was definitely surprised, kind of coming in, that I enjoyed these as much as I did. Um, so yeah, like you know, not not maybe like outright favorite episodes, but you know, some good moments, some good ideas, a whole slew of new Transformers to be like ooh over. Um, so yeah, some 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 fun stuff t- to be had. I think if I had to pick one out of all of these, I'd probably go with the Immobilizer. Yeah, that was just I mean, really, it, really strong to me. It is, yeah, like it, it is surprisingly solid. Like oh, Autobot Spike was really good just because it surprised me so much with the direction it went in. Because I thought like, oh, I know what this episode is going to be. And then even kind of like partway through, it's like, I know what this episode is going to be. And then it kind of like subverted some of those expectations, which is not always what you expect from something like this. Uh, but the Immobilizer was just a good solid romp. Um, with, you know, an interesting idea at its premise and, you know, it it managed to find some good little twists and turns to to make it work. So from there, everyone, next time on the podcast, Andy, we were talking before we start recording, we're going to do four episodes again next time, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Yep, we're trying to keep it so that all the multi-part stories stay in one place in single episodes so we don't have to like split them down or like watch five one time and so uh, doing them four at a time is kind of the the best way to to keep them all compartmentalised as it were. Indeed. So, the next set of episodes, which will be five through eight, will be the following episode titles of season two. Traitor. Enter the Nightbird. Changing gears, a prime problem. I don't recall any of these off the top of my head <laughs> at all. Not, not not reading descriptions or anything, but I literally have no recollection of any of these whatsoever. Yeah, I I, I feel like Enter the Nightbird is probably one of the more well-known season two stories amongst fans. Like it's definitely one that gets talked about and referenced quite a lot. Um, with some some good reasons, um, and I'll also just call out Changing Gears for a really good episode title for an episode, surprisingly, about gears. There you go. <laughs> so, folks, that is what we are going to be talking about next time. We hope you have enjoyed the show today, and if you'd like to get in touch with us or you want to find us uh, online, as it were, once again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. 
We are at Starscreams Pod. And if you wanted to drop us an email, should you have any comments in long form and such, you can email us on starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. Andy, anything else you wanted to divulge or mention before we close out for today? No, no, I, I think that's uh, that's everything. Um, so you know, hopefully, next episode we will we will get a, a healthy number on the the arc accident counter rather than like two minutes before something gets trashed or somebody almost gets killed. So let's uh, let's hope for let's hope for some safe or Decepticon fighting in the next instalment. Completely agree. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.